1: This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. Now with deer seasons winding down, it is a great time to take the plunge into saddle hunting, especially if you've been considering it. Maybe you've just wanted to try out the gear before you made a purchase. So with that, our friends at Tethered are always coming up with ways to help saddle hunters. And this year, they're doing the Tethered Teach and Train Tour, and it's hitting 20 different cities. And the session is 100% free to attend, where you'll be able to try out all their gear. So here's what's happening, or what is also included in the event. There's a free lunch or dinner, depending on the time of the event, all their saddle hunting gear will be in one place, so you can test absolutely everything that they have. And then there's going to be lots of giveaways and freebies. There's event-only pricing and discounts on tethered gear. And then there's insider access on some gear, so you'll get a sneak peek as to some of the things that are yet to be uh, to be released. And then there will also, of course, be saddle hunting experts there available to answer any of your questions while you're hanging and trying out the different gear. So head over to tetherednation.com and check out the Teach and Train Tour page to see the list of cities and dates. Uh, I'm planning to be at the event on May 28th through the 31st at the Seven Springs tax shoot. So, I hope to see you all there. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Before we start the episode today, I have a really great deal from our friends over at Exodus Trail Cameras. As you know, I've been running Exodus Trail Cameras for a little more than four years and uh, really love their five-year warranty, which gives you peace of mind knowing that your investment is protected, which is unlike most competitors. I mentioned last week that they're running a spring sale on my favorite camera, the Lift 2. The good news is, is it's still going on, but they only have a handful of the original allotment remaining to sell. Once they're gone, well, they're gone. So you'll want to jump on it immediately use the code spring 20 and save yourself 50 bucks this is below the trade show pricing If you're not familiar with Exodus Lift 2, it provides lightning-fast trigger speeds with unmatched video quality. The camera offers a 2-inch viewing screen, which allows super easy setup and can even view photos in the field when you're heading to the stand while you're trying to check things out on the fly. You can head over to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and check out all the details about Exodus Lift 2. Don't forget, you'll also have a peace of mind knowing you're backed by their 5-year warranty, no, no BS warranty, that is. And that even includes a five-year theft and damage coverage. They simply have the best truck camera warranty in the industry and have the customer service to back everything up. If you have any questions about their special offer, feel free to send them a message on Instagram or Facebook, and they'll be happy to help answer your questions. To claim the offer, just head over to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and use the code SPRING20 at checkout. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode 169. Today, I'm joined by Parker McDonald, and we're heading for southern ground. All right, all right, all right. What's going on out there? Happy Wednesday to all, all of you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine, both literally and figuratively, I guess, in these uh, in these weird times. So, not a lot to report here on the on the deer front. So, we're not going to belabor this up front here uh, too awful uh, too awful long. I will say this though, um, you know, things have been a little uh, a little nutty the past few few weeks, and don't look the the the, the nuttiness doesn't look to be slowing down anytime soon. And, uh, of course with the whole, you know, working from home, kids are at home, uh, type thing, or, you know, having some time off if you're, if you if you're not able to work from home for your job and stuff like that, I'm hoping everyone is able to kind of make it through as best they can financially and, and so forth. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, uh, fallout from, from that, that we'll all have to, I'll, we'll have to manage through, but in terms of just keeping your mental sanity, um, you know, the one thing that hasn't been canceled is uh, is getting outside um, and taking a hike, taking a walk, maybe doing some scouting and, uh, and, and things of that nature. That was actually what my wife and I did yesterday, um, you know, just in, in terms of trying to keep from getting mad or, you know, ticked off or, you know, depressed or whatever, um, kind of jumping off of social media to a degree. Just because I think a lot of the conversations there aren't helpful um, on on either side, on the conspiracy theorist side, on the downplaying side, on the ratcheting up of the fear side, um, I think all those conversations are, are hyper- hyperbole. To to say it as uh, eloquently and non in, in a non derogatory kind of way, and I don't think they're helpful to the uh, to the overall uh, to the overall cause. So a small suggestion might be to Limit your time on social media and take the opportunity uh, of this time that where kids are going to be home from school and some folks might be off from work for a little bit. Uh, try to take this time just to spend time with them. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, you got to have to you try to look for the the silver lining in things. And for me, the silver lining is, is that, you know, during the course of the year, um, you know, don't really get opportunities to just spend some. Some time with my wife and my daughter at home, you know, maybe a little bit of time over Christmas, but it's always kind of jam packed with holiday stuff. Um, and so maybe this is the, uh, the, the silver lining, uh, just a positive way to look at things is that, um, here's an opportunity just to spend some time with family that, that is closest to you. And then, you know, in a handful of weeks, month, whatever the case is, you know, we'll start to hopefully get back to, uh, To normal. So make the make the best of the time that we have now while we're all kind of in close quarters together, even if it can get a little bit annoying if you're trying to get work done or whatever the case might be. One of the things that I'm kind of doing to use this time in a hunting sense, that is is uh, looking more specifically and doing some uh, more e-scouting. I uh, have plenty of time on my hands to look at some of the out-of-state stuff that I'm trying to plan to do this year. So I'm making my, uh, making my plans and, and looking at maps and uh, kind of getting some things in order. that a lot of times I'd probably push till later in the, uh, later in the summer or, or even into the fall in some cases. Of course, outlining and looking at what states I need to be drawing tags or need to be purchasing preference points and stuff like that. A lot of states have already opened. Out west if i am not mistaken, so this might be a good time to uh do it a little extra do a little extra hunting prepping but uh do get outside you know the outdoors is the great elixir to kind of to slow the mind and uh and, and allow you to take uh, a little bit of stock in things and gain a little perspective and just uh like frankie said relax but uh today we have a cool show uh, i actually recorded this a few i want to say like two months or so ago. I just had some uh podcasts in between that I had to get out um. But this is with a, a buddy of mine, Parker McDonald. You might know him um, from the Southern Ground uh, podcast that is on the Sportsman's Nation uh, channel. And uh, Parker is in uh, lives in Alabama, hunts throughout the South. Uh, so we talk a little bit about southern hunting because southern hunting, you know, to me in part is a little bit... Um, something that I'm not super familiar with. I mean, I know, you know, deer hunting is deer hunting to a degree, but there's definitely different things at play whenever you get into the, uh, get into the South. And one thing that Parker does a lot of that we talk about is, you know, a fair amount of, of water access. And so we talk a little bit about that. Um, but with that, we're just going to kind of go ahead and jump right into the podcast and just want to say, as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on a, a new friend, uh, a, a Southern gentleman. I, I'm going to use the, should I use the word gentleman loosely or, or should I use it sternly?
2: Uh, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. So <laughs> since none of these guys know me, you can, you can say gentlemen. Okay. <laughs> <Nice. laughs>
1: My new Southern gentleman friend, I'm talking to none other than, uh, Parker McDonald from the Southern ground hunting podcast. What's going on, man?
2: Man, I am uh actually sitting in my car, so I have two podcasts um, today. I'm doing this one, and then I'm headed to record another one with some guys who are actually worthy of being on a podcast, unlike myself, <laughs> um, some guys who are just straight-up killers, but uh, man, nice. it's going good. i, I uh kind of struggling in this late-season kind of lull here in Alabama, Yeah. but other than that, man, it's going great.
1: Good man. Yeah, I know, man. Like my season has finally—I uh, I say finally—because some of it's like it's a little bittersweet, right? Like my season ended actually on the 20 of January, and it, my late season was kind of a failure. To be to be honest, it was—I didn't get a lot of time to get out after the holidays, and then the days I did have to get out, the weather was just either warm, which was not, you know, obviously it's not great for late season around here, or I was getting just yeah. like hammered with rain, which was, you know you know it's one thing to sit out and hunt in in some some rain but it's a whole different to sit out in a monsoon like it's you're just being stupid at that point so that's been basically my uh, that's been basically my late season man but uh for those out there that may not be familiar with you you know who you are what you do if you wouldn't mind dude just give us a little bit of background about yourself where you're from what you do for a living those type of things
2: yeah so uh like you said i'm parker mcdonald and uh i i host the southern ground hunting podcast and the youtube channel um it's actually through the sportsman's nation podcast network so if anybody's familiar with that i uh, i host one of the podcasts there and um do all the videos on that channel and so um i'm based here in coleman alabama which is kind of central alabama close to birmingham and uh i am a pastor i'm a, a music pastor at a church here in Coleman, Alabama, called Daystar Church, and I kind of oversee all of the the music ministry of the church. And, uh, yeah, I'm married, got two little kids, and just loving life, loving deer hunting. Actually, right now, I say that. Right now, I'm kind of hating it. I'm I'm like you, it's finally about to be over, and I'm pretty excited about it, to be honest
1: with you. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's it's funny, man, because I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I was like, it's one of those things where I – you know, I look forward to it so much, and and then you grind through like the early part of the season. I always have a bad habit of like sprinting off the start, and then by the time we hit late season, I'm just like, someone put me out of my misery. You know, it's like I'm I'm looking toward the end, just going man, land. Is this is this over yet? Because I almost feel obligated to go out and hunt whenever there's opportunity, just because you know you have such a long time between you know, of course, the off season until seasons start to open in September. So. You kind of feel the same way, man. Yeah. Where it's like almost like a weight's lifted off your shoulders.
2: Dude, I, I saw so I'll give you an example. This morning, um, I've tried to hunt every morning this week. So our our season ends February the tenth. So I don't know when this podcast will drop, but that's when our season ends. And um I've got like twelve days or eleven days left. And I woke up this morning and dude, I've just been getting my butt beat these last probably Three or four sits, these three or, since Monday, I have not seen a deer. And like, it's killing me because before that, dude, last week I was seeing deer every time I went out. Um, nothing huge, nothing big, but little bucks and lots of does. And I was just seeing piles and piles of deer. And man, these last four sits, I haven't seen a thing. It's just like they don't exist. And so I woke up this morning late. Uh, I hunt public. Land here in Alabama, it's about probably an hour or so from my house, and I kayak into spots. It's pretty much the only way I hunt it and um i I usually try to get up around two a m when I go hunt one thirty to two. But I didn't wake up until four this morning, and so I got up, poured a bowl of cereal, and I was like, Yeah, I'm not going this morning. Yeah. there's no way, but yeah. then that same thing that you just said is like I had the opportunity. I was like,." Uh, We got company. My wife's best friends in town. She doesn't, you know, she she'll be occupied with her. I had the opportunity. I should just go. So I went anyways, dude. And of course, didn't see a deer. But I'm like, every day I get home, I'm like, I don't want to do that again
1: tomorrow.
0: Right? Right. (laughs) I'm more out. Yeah, I
1: hear you, man. Like my my season kind of ended. My last hunt was unceremonious. It was uh, we got a sleet, freezing rain, and snowstorm that rolled through. That started off as you know, as snow. And I was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to go catch a hunt in the snow. And I didn't look at the weather to see what was going to really kind of happen throughout the day. And so I jumped up in a tree for an evening. You know, I got in the tree probably like around one o'clock, one thirty, something like that. And, uh, I'm sitting there and like all of a sudden, like it turns from snow and it starts like sleeting a little bit and I'm like, okay. I was like, well, this is tolerable. It's not too bad or whatever. And it started coming down heavier. And then all of a sudden it turned to freezing rain. The temperature dropped. I was hunting along the edge of the swamp my my sticks are all freezing up. You know, I use a five step climinator with two stick or two short sticks, and I'm like, as it's just starting to get dark, I'm like, you know what, I I haven't seen a single deer. I was like, I should probably pull my stuff and get down while I have a little bit, while I have just enough light to see, so I'm not relying on a headlamp with since my sticks are probably iced over. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. I, yep, I pulled my stuff, started started climbing down, got down, no problem. Packed up my stuff, you know put my platform in my, you know, pack and started walking out and I was walking along the edge of the swamp and there's enough snow on the ground. Like a couple of inches of just like sleet snow, like you know, just whatever, you know, and I can't see like where the swamp edge ends and like where the ground kind of starts really. And what I was walking on apparently was, was ice. And so I made a misstep that I was at one point on some ground and I hit the ice. My feet went out from underneath of me. I hit the ground. I smashed my knee through the ice, which was like a good half inch thick. My leg went into the drink. And then my sticks, because I carry them across my back, flopped over like my shoulder and I landed on those. So I got stabbed in the ribs with a set of double steps. And uh, it was one of those ones where it was so cold out. Like I didn't wait to hit the ground to feel like if anything broke, I just jumped up because I was like, I can't lay here. I got to keep moving. If it hurts, I got a long walk.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I understand those days, man. They are. There are the days that, like, was it's like that type two fun. Yeah. It's like, it's fun to talk about now on a podcast, and it's fun, you know, yeah. to relive it. But in the moment, dude, you're like, why do I even do this thing? Why am I here? Exactly. Why am I here right
1: now. Exactly. It was one of those things where I was just like, yep. Because this piece of public kind of beat me up this year. I had a deer on it that I was after, and he gave me the slip, and then I ended up, like, freelancing another section of it, and I ended up finding him and just was never able to get back on him like consistently or whatever and uh and then i actually got shot at by some duck hunters on this same piece uh, because i was hunting along the edge of a swamp and they came in and they set up like right up on top of me and saw where i was at and they didn't move on and then at first light i didn't know exactly where they were and they shot in my direction got pelted with bbs and uh and so this was kind of like the the perfect perfect way to end the hunt on this particular piece of public was like falling through ice getting wet and you know, bruising up my knee pretty good. So, you know, perfect ending to the story, I guess. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. It
2: definitely doesn't make you like wanting to go back the next day.
1: That's for sure. (laughs) No, I was kind of like, you know what? I think I'm good. I was like, I think I've had my, I think I've had my fill this year. I was like, I'll I'll be all right. But man, you know, how did you, uh, did you come from like a hunting family? Was it just, you know, did you get into it later? Like, how'd you start hunting?
2: So, uh, yes and no. I kind of, I started hunting when I was seven and that's actually pretty much when my dad started hunting. Um, too. So, uh, we grew up, I grew up in West Texas, which is, uh, in Midland Odessa area. If anybody's familiar with that, it's the far West side and it's a desert. It's flat mesquite brush. And, um, that's where I was. I was born and raised around that area. And hunting was, kind of and still is even more kind of a rich man's game out there there's no public land right and if you want to get on a lease or if you know somebody that's great but usually most ranchers out there they're leasing their property and uh and so it's, it's just really like one of those things like you have to just get invited by somebody to go or spend a whole lot of money to get on a lease and so um i was never like you know, I was seven years old. I was all boy. Like I love knives. I love, you know, blood and guts and <laughs> all that stuff. Like I was just, that was just me. And, uh, a guy that my dad worked with invited him to go hunt in, uh, in the hill country of Texas. And now my dad grew up, uh, hunting mule deer in New Mexico. Uh, my grandfather owned a business and they would take clients out to go hunt mule deer on public land in Mexico. But it was really just kind of Honestly, it was an excuse for my grandfather and the client to go out and drink, honestly. And so dad was young, and he was trying to figure it out. And he never killed a mule deer, but they only went a few times a year. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. And uh, and somebody invited my dad uh, that he worked with to go hunt. And I remember I made really good grades on my report card when I was in first grade. So I was seven years old, and I got home that day, and I had good grades. And he said, hey, since you got good grades, I got a surprise. Okay, what is it? He's like, "Well, you're going to go hunting with me this weekend." And so we went out, and that next morning, my dad, we sat in a shooting house in a blind looking at a feeder in the Hill Country of Texas and my dad shot his first deer uh with me there as a 7-year-old. He shot a spike and uh and then the, that evening he shot, well that afternoon, in Texas you can shoot turkeys in the fall. Mm-hmm. So that afternoon he shot a turkey and that was his first turkey and then that evening he shot an 8-point and so like that was my first day deer hunting that's and it was like yeah it was like from that point on man I was I was just like I was eating up with it like I was buying I was good if I got five dollars for picking weeds in the yard or mowing the grass or something like I'd go out I I didn't have a bow but I'd go buy broadheads because it was in the hunting section you know like (laughs) I was just I was just I was just consumed by it and all my friends were, like, renting, you know, the newest video games from Blockbuster, and I was getting, like, the Fitzgerald movies, you right. know, or uh, videos, or the Realtree Monster Bucks videos, and, like, that's what I got. That's what I watched and right. rented from Blockbuster as a kid, and so um, we were just eat up with it, man. My dad, I think he kind of saw my interest and uh, how much I enjoyed it, and so, obviously, he started to do it more. He ended up saving up. Uh, one year probably it was my my ninth grade year of high school maybe it was maybe I was younger but I think it was it was like either junior high or high school and he finally got on a lease and uh, and so we hunted out there but actually I had friends who were or not friends family who lived here in Alabama Hmm. and so when we would come here after that when I was seven we would come here and my uncle would take us hunting either on his hunting club or something like that so i shot my first deer out here in alabama while we were visiting on thanksgiving break uh, i shot a little button buck and uh i was 10 and pretty much i mean i was already hooked but at that point it was like yeah this done this is uh this is this is who i am this is in my veins now right and so yeah i mean and then i grew up obviously graduated high school there in west texas my dad got on a lease i shot i finally shot some you know a a few good bucks out there and uh killed my first deer with a bow when i was 18 so out there it was really strange on the lease not strange but on those leases you pay like two thousand dollars or something which at that time was a you know pretty average price for a lease now you go out there it's probably five or six thousand dollars but um you get one trophy buck, you get one coal buck, and then you get one doe. That was kind of our limits on our West Texas lease. And so, uh, I, man, I would try so hard to kill my coal buck with a bow, and I just could not do it. And finally, I was 18 years old, and I finally got a shot at a doe with a bow. And so I killed my first deer, my first deer, first deer with a bow when I was 18, and uh, moved to Alabama. And I mean, I tried the whole like hunting club scene and I killed some deer on hunting clubs and private land. I killed, you know, uh, we moved to Georgia and close to Atlanta and I killed a couple of really solid bucks there in Atlanta on, uh, on private land, getting on hunting clubs and stuff. But, uh, it was a few years ago, about three or four years ago, I just kind of decided I'm done spending this money, man. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to hunt public land. I'm done
1: spending money to not see deer. Right. Right. going to hunt public. Nice, man. Like there's a couple of things. I can not see deer for free. <laughs> I know. Right. There's a couple of things I want to, I want to unpack that Well, first, you know, you got into, you got into deer hunting really early when your dad took you out, but I'm curious, man, like where did the, when did the music thing come in?
2: Uh, dude, it, it happened, man, it was, I was like in second grade, uh, nobody I didn't know that I could sing like nobody really knew that I could sing and we were doing a Christmas play at my school and the music teacher assigned me to sing a solo for Away in a Manger and uh as I was in second grade and I remember like obviously at that age you don't have a you don't have a manly voice at all right <laughs> uh so I was like you were like, man, I've never heard a boy sing that good. You kind of sounded like a girl, <laughs> and uh, and that was that was pretty much from that point point on. My dad's a pastor of a church. Um, he pastors in the, and he always has my whole life, and so I had a lot of opportunities to do music in the church and things like that. And of course, I played I played all the sports. I played, you know, everything, but really, music and deer hunting was kind of the things that, uh, pretty much just like consumed me
1: growing up right right now did you like what do you play an instrument as well or are you a vocalist primarily
2: yeah so i sing i play guitar mm-hmm. that's my main instrument and then i uh i can play a little bit of keyboard i can play bass i can play kind of play drums right. um pretty much i mean anything like that you would find in the church setting uh which and i i um i work at a church as a very progressive church so it's not like hymns and stuff like that like right, it's going right. to be full band type stuff and uh um you pretty much learn to play those instruments out of a need so mm-hmm. it's like oh we don't have a bass player today Yes, i'm going to learn on the fly how to play bass <laughs> <Right>. and uh <laughs> that's kind of where it all came from
1: right it's it's interesting man because I, I know what you're saying like the progressive church and stuff like that my, my, my buddy he was like, I was. It's funny, man, because you and I have a lot in common. Like, at first glance, it's like, I know when we started trading in Texas, like, oh, cool, we should do a podcast together, man. We're brothers of the saddle. Like, we both like to hunt out of the saddle, yeah. right? Both ate yeah. up with deer hunting. <laughs> You're a musician. That's what I used to do for a, a long time as, as well. And I'm like, this might be my southern brother. You know, I might have found like my southern doppelganger, man. But uh, a buddy of yeah. mine moved to Nashville he was a signed artist for a bunch of years, like playing in a rock band and and this, that, the other. And then he moved to Nashville and started going to this really progressive church. And like, he's a dude who's been on tour and like done all this crazy stuff. And like, and he's in the, like, he leads the, the church band, you know what I mean? And I'm like, dude, he was a killer musician. Like he went to Nashville as a songwriter originally. And, uh, and so he like, he's, he's got chops. And so I'm like, man, that's gotta be one smoking band if he's playing in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Heck
2: yeah. Yeah. Nashville, man, it's eat up with all, even like the small churches in Nashville have crazy good musicians. It's just like, it's one of those things as a worship pastor, you're like, why can't I live in a town like Nashville where everybody plays? Right.
1: (laughs) Right. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, man, was like, you mentioned hunting club and that's, it's interesting, man, because there are some hunting clubs up here that I've heard of. Like, I know that some distant relatives of mine have a hunting club and, and I'm going to use that term for them loosely. Cause I don't know how much of a hunting club it truly is, but it seems like that's from what I've heard, at least I don't, I won't say that I'm an expert on it, but what I've heard is that is very much more of like a Southern cultural thing is that hunting club idea. At least whenever I spoke with yeah. like, um, Lindsay from QDMA, like we talked a little bit about it. Is that, you know, do you find that to be true? Is there a lot more like hunting club, you know, gangs down there, if you will?
2: Yeah, so a hunting club is for is kind of just a another word for a, like a lease. Okay. Right. So you have you have the leaseholder who is usually your club president and then you have you know, on a 500 acre lease, you'll have um however many members for that mm-hmm. for that piece of land. Um and you pay your dues. Everybody does work days to um plant fields and keep maintenance on the on the roads and the shooting houses and uh Mm -hmm. or blinds and um, it's and and then like the thing that that really makes it maybe different from a like a permission property like you hear about in the midwest and in the north Mm -hmm. is that most hunting clubs have like a pin in and pin out system so they'll have a giant map on there at the gate or wherever and it's kind of a first come first serve and everybody can hunt any stand any greenfield but you have to pin your spot and once you leave there you can't once you leave that pin in that sign-in board you have to um stay in that area basically you can't you can't you know kind of go exploring or unless there's nobody there you know or something like that but
0: right um
2: that's kind of the thing that makes a hunting club. When I think about a hunting club, it's that that kind of pin in and pin out system, which is is kind of the negative side of it because that's what that's where things start getting really political mm-hmm. in a hunting club. And um, like like a guy like me now, as a as a public land mobile hunter, um, if I were to get in a hunting club, obviously my first thought isn't. Hamlin hey, go sit in that, in that greenfield. Right. You know, that's, well, the more you learn about deer, the more you kind of learn, like, no wonder I wasn't seeing deer when I was sitting on a greenfield. Right. Um, that's not to say you can't shoot a deer on a greenfield. That's, that's totally not to say that I've killed my biggest buck ever. I shot on a greenfield. Right. Uh, but typically you're not going to, that's not where you're going to find them. And so, you know, like I, I had a lot of situations where, um, I like, I'll just give an example of one of the times I was on a hunting club and I got kicked off like two hunting clubs (laughs) and, and it's not for anything. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, this place I was going, I had finished the hunt. It was like 12 o'clock in the afternoon and on my way back to the clubhouse to sign out, I drove past the spot and I noticed there wasn't anybody there. And so I walked down the road and I hadn't been down there before and I wanted to just check out the area. There wasn't anybody there, so I walked down the road and found this long strip greenfield and uh, found the stand, and I was like, okay, and I happened to jump a deer. I jumped a buck. No mm-hmm. big deal. That's going to happen. I went back to the clubhouse, and the old man that was there, that was the club president, he said, uh, these deer ain't like them deer in Texas where you can just walk around however you want to. That deer ain't ever going to come back. <laughs> and uh he didn't kick me off right then. He kicked me off another time when I signed into the I signed into the uh, I signed into the, uh, the club that day. The one morning, I parked my truck, and uh, here he come driving down the road. After I'd already signed in, I was already in the blind, and he came running down the road past my truck and just like spun out because he was mad. He probably didn't go to the sign-in board. Like we're supposed to, because he's the club president, and he doesn't have to do that apparently. <laughs> and uh, and he left. So I go back to the clubhouse that after that morning hunt, and he said, uh, he said I seen the I seen you your truck. You went driving down through our green fields. And obviously, I hadn't. I didn't even drive to the green field. Um, But he accused me of it, of driving through the greenfields and muddying them up because I went to the spot that he wanted
0: to hunt. Right.
2: So that's kind of the negative side of, of hunting clubs. Obviously there is a positive. You got, it's easy. Most of them are maintained, rows are maintained to take a kid out. I'll probably get on another hunting club when my kids get old enough. Right. Just because I, you know, I want them to be interested in it and I don't want to, I don't want to take them out of my kayak when it's freezing <laughs> weather. Right. You know, that's just, that's not how you get a kid into hunting. So, um, There's, there's definitely positives, but man, the, the negatives are just really bad.
1: Yeah. Um, I I don't know if that answers the question. No, it it totally does. Like, I've always just been curious. Like, I mean, I under, you know, I kind of knew that it was a lease situation, you know, and I, and I knew that like, there was a, there was usually some type of, um, you know, uh, hierarchy in terms of like decision-making and stuff like that, you know, there just to make decisions on how money was going to get spent or whatever, but I didn't really know like the sign in sign out kind of situation with, you know, stands and and locations and and, and stuff like that. Cause I assumed it was just more like a lease with buddies that you, that's kind of like that to me, like the hunting clubs that I'm aware of up here that like some of my family might've been in over the years and stuff. That's kind of how it was where it was like, either they leased a piece of property and they all kind of like just went in together and they hunted it, you know, no big deal. Or it was, (laughs) you know, probably more familiar, more, you know, um, more frequently up here is probably more hunting camps where it's like you know my family owns a couple properties there's a cabin on them you know during archery season there's not many people that hunt in a handful of dudes you know but during gun season it's like you know 12 guys will come down and basically just hang around drink beer hunt for like a day and that's about it you know what i mean and that's kind of that's the hunting camp you know so there is a pretty decent difference between between the two it's kind of it's interesting
2: It, so it is like, um, it, it is a lot like that. And you will find hunting clubs that are, you know, a bunch of guys that went in together on a lease, but most of the time these hunting clubs are people who, who don't know each other. So like you'll find on Craigslist or right. on Facebook groups, like Alabama hunting clubs, Facebook groups where people will put when they need new members. So it's usually like, you know, you go in, if I were to get on a hunting club right now, unless I just happen to know somebody on it, like, I, I don't know those people, right. You're just, you're joining their hunting club. Right. And, um, and that, that's, it, it's, it is fun. Like it, you meet new people. I've got friends now that I met because we were in hunting clubs together. It's definitely fun, but it's, it, it really is hard. Um, cause like, I'll tell you another thing, like, if you go in there into a hunting club, say it's your first year in the in the club, and you go in and you kill, you know, in Alabama we get three buck tags. So, if you kill your three bucks and they're all giant bucks and nobody else is killing anything, there's a really good chance you're going to get voted out of that club. That's right. not every club, but that's a lot of clubs out here. Right. Because that's not what they, that they want people to come in who don't know what they're doing and can help them basically cover the lease.
1: Right. Yeah. And
2: so, you yeah.
1: know, and then it's
2: just st- not my thing.
1: Yeah, and just save the good deer for the for for the the president or like the the handful of guys that might know each other. You know what I mean? Like if you have ten guys yeah. and like three know each other, and it's like the other seven are there just to pay the bills. Essentially, it's kind of pretty much. Yeah. So man, pretty I know much. if I'm not mistaken, dude, you're getting ready to head head uh head south, right, to catch some rut activity. It's still going on. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So uh Alabama's a crazy state, man. Like. We have the weirdest rut. Uh, If you look at, so the Alabama, I think it's on the Alabama Outdoor News website. They put out a map that's a rut map for the state of Alabama. And it basically will tell you, it tells you what the rut, the time of the rut um, is for that specific area. And it's like color, kind of like colored uh, coded or whatever you want to say. That's so if you can imagine like a radar map, right? So if you're looking at the Weather Channel app and you see the radar and it has like green, yellow, red, orange, all the different colors. So that's what our rut map looks like. It just looks like a giant storm rolling through Alabama and you just have random dates all throughout the state that the rut takes place on. It's so weird and like it. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it because you're like, how is it that you can have a deer that's rutting in November and then 10 miles down the road, they're rutting in January? That's like, crazy. It's it's bizarre. And obviously the deer don't see those lines, so you'll have bucks chasing does random times when they're not supposed to in that area. But right. um, our, the rut that I hunt, so I hunt uh, like north, northern Alabama. In a lot of the state, a lot of the northern part of the state is like a late, a later rut, January and February. But where I hunt, um, it's usually like the end of November, pretty much through December. You can you can find some decent rut activity. Hmm. Um, where I like my areas is usually the first two weeks of December, and those weeks just get—I mean, it is—it gets crazy where I'm at.
0: Damn.
2: Um, but right now, like I said, like it's kicking my butt and once you get it's big woods really steep terrain um no ag zero ag where i'm at and uh so late season is is, it's really hard to find anything to find any deer because they're all on food sources which is usually on private land unless you can find a hot red oak that's dropping acorns or um like if you have a uh like a green briar patch or where they're kind of Munching on that stuff. But um, most of them, I mean, greenfields, they just legalized uh, hunting over corn here in Alabama this year. So a lot of deer are hitting corn. They're staying close to it. Right. So I just decided, I was like, you know what? Uh, so normally I'm tagged out by now. Like I usually tag out in December. And so this is the first time that I've had to do this late season, like kind of find a rut to go hunt. So I decided to go down south. And the, the South Alabama right now is wide open in the rut. Hmm. So next week I'm going to go to a WMA down there. It's kind of a swamp, swamp land, uh, real flat. It's water, pretty much water access only. There's a few places you can walk in, but, um, it's kind of my, right up my alley for using the kayak. So I'm going to try it out, man. I don't know how low it'll work. I've only been to this place once when I was really young. So I, I don't have a lot of, uh,
1: experience there or anything but i'm pretty excited about it nice man i'm excited for you dude some those are sometimes like my favorite hunts when i don't know much about what i'm walking into because i don't it's almost like freeing because i'm not married to an idea or a spot or you know or a terrain feature or anything like that i'm just going in saying what am i going to see and once i see something that i'm interested in that's where i'm going to end up or at least that's where i'll start well
2: i can tell you this if it if it's legal i'm probably going to be interested in it at this point right <laughs> like,
1: right <laughs> heard that
2: that's, if i see something legal i'm going to be like yep uh that catches my interest
1: right right so what uh how many do- yeah, and i'm sorry go ahead
2: i was just going to say like it's not out here you know um i i really i really worked hard to shoot only respectable bucks this year um I let a lot of bucks walk, a lot of decent bucks I let walk this year. But, uh, you know, I kind of made that decision. But I'll tell you what influenced my decision to shoot a legal buck, the next one I see, is uh, I gave away a ton of deer meat, thinking I had plenty in the freezer. <laughs> and I went to go grab some uh, some burger. My wife had asked me to thaw some out, and there was none in our freezer. And I was like, uh, oh what are we going to do about this? I just gave away like three deer.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's early in the year yet.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I was, I was like, ah, no big deal. I'll shoot another deer. And that has been proving to be a challenge right now. So that's kind of why I'm taking this trip down South is because I just, I need to go somewhere where I have good opportunity to see one.
1: And, uh, probably anything that's legal is going to, going to die. I'm going to catch it. What, uh, how many, uh, like I don't know if there's a definitive number or not, but you know, I might be asking the wrong question. But you know, how many different ruts could you catch in Alabama? Would you say?
2: Uh, let's see. So, um, just kind of a a longer way of answering maybe a question that, that doesn't need to be answered long. But <laughs> there was there's a Michigan strain of whitetails that was brought down here and uh, years ago and. They're all over, like, pretty much the, close to the area that I hunt. There's a there's a Michigan strain, and they will rut like normal whitetail in the rest of the country. So the Midwest, you know, mm-hmm. basically Halloween through mid-November, late November, you'll catch some. And so those are, our, that's like the Michigan strain that's, like, really, like, coexisting with the Alabama native whitetail. <laughs> And so, you know, in some areas down there, man, you can catch a rut from the end of October. And if you, if a guy wanted to chase the rut all season, he could chase the rut from pretty much the end of October all the way through February, through February 10th, through our last day. And actually the, uh, when I was, I hunted a new place, a turkey hunted a new place last year, uh, 2019 on opening day. And that was March the 15th, I believe. And when we were in there, dude, I bet we counted close, over 50 rubs in that, like, fresh rubs, like, looked like they were still wet rubs. Right. Um, And that was on March the 15th. Wow. Um, So, if the season were extended, you could probably hunt the rut in some capacity from the end of October all the way through March.
1: Right. Now, when do they start dropping their antlers? Because I actually found, I started finding, I found a shed right after christmas actually in pa which is also kind of what made me slow my roll in hunting late season cuz there was a couple of decent deer that i knew had made it through and i didn't want to go sticking an arrow in one of them mistaken uh, mistakenly after i found that shed it made me a little nervous but wh- when do they start dropping sheds down there so we don't honestly we don't typically
2: just because the the terrain is so steep and it's like so rugged you don't and and it's where i'm at in those big woods you don't find a lot of sheds hmm. Um, and I, I've found in my lifetime in Alabama, maybe like, maybe three sheds. And, um, so you, you, don't find a ton, uh, unless you got some type of ag or food source out there. But, um, like those Michigan strain deer, mm-hmm. a lot of them out there, um, close to where I hunt have already, have already dropped them. Now where the actual like core area that I hunt, they still are holding. And I've actually seen bucks holding. Uh, I jumped, I jumped a big buck, probably the biggest buck I've seen uh, at that time, at least. And it was probably the end of March, maybe early April. And it was still holding. Wow. Um, So you definitely get, you definitely get a, uh, a lot later date to go out there and start finding sheds. And like when I turkey hunt, I'm a running gun turkey hunter. So I'm walking all over these freaking woods. And again, I've I've never found I don't think I've ever found a shed when I was turkey hunting. Right, and that's uh, because a lot of deer are still holding.
1: Right, yeah, I'm I'm admittedly the world's worst uh, shed hunter and turkey hunter. Actually, if I'm being completely honest, <laughs> it's, uh, the uh, and I don't know how I found this shed that I found in December. I was actually like I knew there was a decent buck in this one area that I had like kind of freelance hunted in at the end of October before I went to Iowa, and I actually saw this buck. I set up on some of his sign. He had just laid like it. I felt like whenever I found it, it had to have been laid just that morning and it was an evening hunt. And I ended up seeing him. He never came close enough for me to get a real good look at what he was. I just saw enough bone that I was like from a distance. I was like, he's a, you know, I think he's either a, a shooter or he's borderline, you know? And so I went back yeah. into this spot late season, same general area. Cause I wanted to see if any additional sign got laid down or, if, you know, or if I needed to kind of press back in further and, there was no new sign and so i started pressing back in further and kind of hitting into like hitting the uh the brush like the thick stuff and i just happened to walk by this one piece of brush and i just looked at it and was standing in front of it and there was his antler hanging in the brush like literally just hanging there it it made me think that he was probably injured and maybe dropped him early is what i was kind of thinking cuz that was pretty early being that it was just like the end of uh end of december but You know, I was actually in Alabama. I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking. I was actually in Birmingham for work in September. And uh, I I think I'd mentioned this to you, you know, while I was there, the place I was, we were doing a film shoot for this thing. And uh, there were some hammer mounts in this, in this place. And the guy was actually the mayor of that, like, little town that I was, that I was in. And he knew the people who owned this, like, estate where we were filming in this house that had been rented to film in. And uh, I asked him if those deer were shot on that property. He said, yeah. And I mean, the one was like probably 140s and the other one was like 160s. And I was really surprised because I didn't realize that, you know, I mean, there's big deer everywhere, but it just was kind of, it made me stop and think. I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's a big deer to be killed on this property. So I'm just curious, man, like what's the, what's the caliber of deer look like in, in, in Alabama? And I'm completely naive. I have no really frame of reference other than those mounts that I saw on that wall that day.
2: Yeah, so um I mean like obviously there's there's big big bucks. Um like I said we have that Michigan strain that uh that gets pretty pretty big. Um like a couple of years ago, uh, a few years ago actually, there were several public land bucks out here um not far from where I'm at on the same um national forest that I hunt that got killed that were you know i think one of them may have been over 200 and another one that was pushing 200 and there's i mean there's there's some just there's some giants that are in there and i mean every year you'll see you know some 160s 170s come off of that piece of public and really all over the state but it's not like it's not like i hunt kentucky Mm -hmm. as well i do the early season. Velvet Hunt, Kentucky, and you go out there and you talk with some of the guys that are out there hunting that week and everybody has a story of a one fifty that they've seen in that week. Right. You know, you just don't you don't see that out here. It's not like I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a one fifty, like a true like one fifty on public in Alabama. I don't think I have. I've seen some that are, you know, big. I've seen some big one thirties um i was hunting one this year that i saw there in the rut and i actually had a i should have had a shot opportunity on him that was probably pushing 140 and uh and i've been trying to hunt him you know in his core area but i just i haven't had another encounter with him right uh so they're definitely here i killed one um this year that was i killed a, a really good buck with my bow out here um, on October the 23rd, I think 23rd or 27th. I can't remember. I think I watched the video. um, You have,
1: you had video of that work,
0: right?
2: Yeah. 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 And I try to video everything, you know, and I would say that, I would say that on public here in Alabama, I probably have as many buck encounters and deer encounters as, you know, as, as I probably have more than most people. And, um, you know, anybody who is some of the really like I'm going to interview these guys tonight, a guy named Mike Perry and another guy named Jamie McKay, and they are notorious guys out here for shooting just giant bucks every single year and I mean, you're talking about you know one one twenty to one forty class deer that's right. a that's a good buck if you're killing those every year out here, then you're kind of legendary, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not on their level, but you know, I, every year I, I usually kill a good, a good respectable buck out here. Right. And, uh, and this year I killed my biggest, my biggest public land deer. And, uh, he was, I mean, he's, he's, a just an eight point and he's got really, really small brow tines, but his frame is just, he had like 22 inch main beams uh like a i think it was a 19 and a half inch inside spread um but yeah. he's just an eight yeah. and so he doesn't he doesn't score as high as he should but dude he's just
1: he was great impressive he's, he's a, a, a deer, really man. impressive deer that's a good deer man it's like i, I watched the video of it whenever i saw it, i was like man it's like it's a good buck you know it's like i i would have i would have stuck an arrow in it <laughs> you know what i mean like that oh yeah
2: and I think most people would in just about any state because he's, I mean, he's a, he's a big deer. He's not like a high scoring deer because he's an eight point. So he's not going to be a 140. But you put, you know, you put decent, decent brow tines on him and make him a 10 point, and he's got the frame of a 140 right all day. He's, he's a big, a big deer. He was my first, uh, my first, I've killed some trophy deer, what I would consider to be trophy deer out here. On public but he was my first like true trophy buck on public
1: land like anybody would would shoot him yeah for sure man i mean it's the same way hunting you know pa public i mean there's especially for where i live it you know i live around around the philadelphia area you know you can get into some pockets of good deer like i had one in this swamp uh this last year that was a like about 150 inches um ten point you know it was a really nice deer, actually the biggest yeah. deer I've ever seen in Pennsylvania personally, you know what I mean, so that was and I saw there was another like mid one thirties that was in the same area, and I ended up seeing him as well um you know, but uh those you're not gonna run into those all the time, and so what i you know when people ask me like what I'm looking for, it's like you know I'm really you know if i have if I have a trail camera out and I have you know inventory of a deer you know, and I know there's one in the area, I'm probably looking more for like it. I want a three and a half year old in Pennsylvania is like what I'm really kind of judging on because most deer don't make it to three and a half, four and a half years old in PA on public, you know? So like, if I can find that, then great. If I'm hunting a piece that I'm not real familiar with or don't know anything about at all. And I'm just freelancing in, then I just say like it goes off the heart rate, you know, it's like if it, if it approaches and I get excited, it it's, it's liable to get shot, you know? Um, you know, and I was fortunate. I had a couple, the past two years, I've had a couple of really good deer that I've been able to try to get after. I haven't haven't managed to seal the deal on them. I had uh, one in particular this year that I was really kind of stoked on. He actually just showed up out of nowhere. I had him on a trail camera on this like food source on this uh, piece of public. I'd never been on before. I actually drove by it during the summer and I was like, eh, I had an extra camera that was laying in the back of my truck. I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop in here real quick and see if I can't find a spot to hang a camera. Ran in. Hung a camera close to food because I was like, I just want to see what bucks are in here. So there was like a food plot that the you know, state had planted on that piece of public. And so I let it hang for a while and then went back, like, rate, right, you know, I don't know, beginning of September, you know, a couple of weeks before the season started. I was like, oh, let me pull this camera and see if there's any bucks on here. And there actually ended up being two shooters on there that were both probably, you know, both were Pope and Young. The one was probably cracking, you know, just a little over 130, nine point. Um, and uh, I was like, all right, cool. Like, got some. Got some talent. I was like, you know, that's I might have to throw a hunt at this. I ended up finding a decent setup, you know, on a freelance hunt the one day on this like primary scrape area. And uh he ended up coming out and I didn't have enough light uh to see my pins. And uh and that was kind of how huh. that that's kind of how that ended. Um which was kind of a bummer. That, but that, it, what's that? A bummer.
2: Ah, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah.
1: It was it was, but you know, it was a bummer, but it was one of those things where it was cool. Cause I had figured him out on just like a freelance hunt and found where he was at. And there's a big piece of swamp behind this area that I ended up scouting during late season when I was trying to find a late season setup. And, uh, I think I might've found like, found like a really good pinch point coming out of the swamp between these two huge boulders that kind of pinches down and funnels down. And it's, uh, there's an, uh, mm-hmm. there's an oak tree there that's dropping. And so I feel like a, a mid October setup in that area would be will be dynamite and i might even i may even hunt him from the ground in that spot might be the best bet so we'll see
2: yeah yeah i i have uh that buck that i was telling you about i I told you i didn't have another encounter with him but i actually did have another encounter with him and he did the exact same thing the big you know one the one that was pushing 140 that that i should have been able to shoot and uh so what actually happened I was filming some does I had deer all around me and my dad had just missed a buck across the way so I was texting him and I just happened to peek back behind me and I see this big huge buck he was I mean he had to have been behind me for 5 minutes within yeah I was rifle hunting so it would have been within you know 70 yards and uh I was filming these does and my attention was on them and they were you know 30 yards in front of me so I look back behind me and I catch him and I see him, and I try to get everything settled and uh I mean, I saw him for a split second before he went into the thicket, and he actually passed by the freaking tree that I was going to hunt that morning. He was right underneath it, um, that I was gonna hunt that morning, but I decided while I was walking there to hunt somewhere different, and uh, obviously, I've kicked myself every single day since then, but uh later that next day, I, I went and I went ahead and hunted that tree that I was planning to hunt and uh, I hunted it on an evening hunt and he walked underneath me at dark and I just had to sit there. I, I just <laughs> listening to him crunch leaves. And so, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Like those, those days where you know, you figured the deer out, like, yeah. and nine times out of 10 you would have killed him. Yeah. But that, that one time out of 10 that the everything wasn't perfect and it did not work out. Like I seem to get those a lot, but man, like it, it it does. There is a sense of accomplishment that comes with that. Like knowing, like, okay, buddy, like I figured you out. You should have died today, but yeah, for whatever reason you didn't. And, uh, I, I mean, it's, but for me, dude, like, honestly, if you watch, if you watch, any of my videos or listen to any of the podcasts that I do like the experience is the kind of the driving factor for me for sure man. like I, I want a good I want a good storyline I want the like this year in Kentucky I shot a velvet buck um that was tiny I shot a little a little velvet buck like a three point mm-hmm. and uh the my, my goals were I wanted to shoot a, a deer in velvet And I had let a lot of bucks walk that were his size or bigger that week. Um, But I had got into a whole bunch of poison ivy and I had poison ivy all down, all over my face. Like I looked like a tomato, dude. It was just, (laughs) it's like 150 degrees out there and humid and you're hot and you've been walking and you're covered up in chiggers and ticks. And then you add the, poison ivy. I mean, it was literally swelling my eyes shut when I would wake up in the mornings and I could not get it off of me. And so when he walked out, I was like, yes, I'm so ready to be done. This is the exact story that I want, but it's like, it's such a good story. When I look back at the picture and I'm like, man, I mean, he's not a giant deer or anything, but I mean, look at my face, you know, like (laughs) I, I have that, I have that forever. And and that's really what it's all about for me. I, ch- I try to shoot big bucks, and every time I set up, I set up to kill bucks, mature bucks. Like I'm, that's the way that I'm hunting. My, I, I guess you could call it the beast beast style. I'm right. I'm hunting bedding, and uh, I kind of changed it up a little bit this year and um, did something a little bit different. And I was still hunting bedding, but more of like the bedding areas, like the it's more of the John Eberhardt approach yeah. where he talks about the hunting, the bedding areas, which are the thickest cover that you can find Mm -hmm. in that area. And so I did that this year and I ended up, you know, I had really good, really good success. Like I had more encounters this year than ever before. So I'm always hunting, trying to hunt big bucks. But I mean, dude, if, if one comes out and I'm jacked up about it, if, if there's a specific, like when my dad's here from Texas, like, I want us to go out and be successful. So I'm going to be not nearly as picky as maybe I would be another day. Right. Just because the experience is everything. Yeah. It's not about the the size of the antlers or anything for me. I, I like killing big bucks. But, man, that experience is, it's
1: it's like a, an unbeatable thing yeah. for me. For sure, man. It's funny, man, because it's uh... – like for everyone out there listening, it's like you and I never met before, other than we started trading some online messages, and then we were like, "Hey, let's do a podcast together." And Then we talked a couple of nights ago just to connect to get this get this scheduled. But it's funny how similar that we that we hunt because I'm kind of the same way. It's like beast style, right? But I I actually take a lot from John as well. You know, it's like and the way I kind of frame it is um, a good buddy of mine. I don't know if you know him, but his name's Josh uh, Josh Profit. He's from Kentucky. Um, Re- yeah. 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 Really, really good hunter good buddy of mine. And I kind of steal a line from him because it just made sense. Cause you know, I like to try to hunt. I've, I've spent time trying to hunt beds and I had mixed results. Like I was always had a, like, I don't know, like a mediocre level of like success or encounters. And it was once I started hunting more like a, like how Josh would say a coyote, like for opportunity. And I was hunting like general good buck, big, you know, mature buck areas versus a specific bed. I all of a sudden like had more encounters with the type of deer I wanted to have more encounters with. Um, and it just, for whatever reason, that approach just fits me better. I think now I have plenty of buddies that like, you know, my buddy, Greg Litzinger, he's just a diehard bed hunter, you know what I mean? And that's what, and that's what he hunts, you know? Um, you know, and he does, he finds and gets on big bucks, you know? Um, he spends more time in the woods than I do. And like what I started kind of figuring out was like most of the guys who I know who hunt, who specifically hunt beds like they they've either typically one have have had more time than me to spend in the in the timber, you know whether it's like scouting or or hunting specifically um, and so they're able yeah. to kind of pick and choose the days that they're going to hunt, you know to I mean based on when they think that deer is going to be there um, where I don't necessarily have that opportunity it's like I have days that I have off and days that I can take for vacation, and those are the days I have to hunt um And so I try, I have to hunt more for opportunity than I do for like specificity. And once I started doing that, like this year specifically, it's like, man, my encounters went through the roof, you know? So I still look for bedding your beds, but like, I'm not necessarily going to set up directly on that bed unless I have a really good idea that the deer is going to be there. I'm more or less going to hunt that thick bedding cover. And more specifically, it's like, I'm going to look for like those primary scrape areas that are, that are adjacent to those, like, you know, that thick bedding cover, or some type of like doe bedding. You know, those are going to be the places I'm going to look at cuz I'm looking for volume versus a specific animal.
2: Yeah, and like so I've been just trying to figure out really what my actual style is. Um like last year, last year man, dude, I straight up stuck with the hunting beast style. Like that was how I hunted. And I mean, I, w- I didn't have nearly the encounters that I had this year, but it always seemed like when I did have an encounter, it was like the deer that I wanted to yeah. to see that day. Yep, You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like this year I've let a lot of bucks walk. I've let, I've seen piles of does like I've seen more deer this year than I have in my entire life. Any season hunting private or public this year, I've seen more deer, but it, it was just it was deer. It wasn't the deer that I wanted to see. That that doesn't mean that I I definitely saw bucks and I've I've had, you know, really good big buck encounters this year, but um I wasn't s i just wasn't seeing it wasn't like it was last year where I didn't see nearly the amount of deer, but when I saw one it was the one that I wanted to shoot. Right. Um so I, I definitely think there's differences. Um now all that being said, like this year, like I said, like I had an opportunity to be tagged out by December, the whatever it was tenth I think, and on a on a big buck, and I just messed up that opportunity so it's it's not that it didn't work, it definitely worked. I just didn't capitalize every time that I needed
0: to, yeah,
2: but I, you know so I probably would be somewhere somewhere in between, you know I mean, there's certain spots that I'm at, and I'm like, okay the more of a hunting beast approach hunting a specific bed is going to be the best way to hunt this area i found a spot this morning when i went out and uh i mean it it's exactly like that i kind of scouted more than i hunted today and it's one of those spots that i would go in and say what would dan and do in this situation Mm -hmm. Um, where i have a spot that i hunted yesterday morning that i would go in and say okay how would how would eberhart hunt this situation you know and like somewhere in the middle of that there's gonna be a Parker McDonald right there that's gonna kinda of pick and choose, you know, which one's gonna be best for the scenario. I think I think a lot of guys get so tied up in a hunting beast tactics don't work in the south, or John Eberhardt tactics don't work in the south, or you know, insert a name here. That's just not the way it works here for your given scenario. I think you can I think you can pick up things and be well rounded in a lot of different tactics that that will, you know, work dependent on your scenario. Yep. I don't think they're all the same.
1: No, I a hundred percent agree with you, man. And that's, <clears throat> and that's kind of like, you know, I've, you know, I've talked about this a couple of different times, but that's kind of been my evolution is trying to figure out what works for me. Cause part of it is too, you know, I've, I've talked about this with Dan and John and even, you know, Cody DeQuisto for that matter. It's like, it's, it's confidence, right? It's like, if I, even, yep. if, even if something is, even if I know a tactic is going to work, say it's a, something that i've picked up from john or whatever and i know that like hey it'll work in this scenario but if i'm not confident in the setup in like the execution of it it's not going to work for me you know what i mean and so it's like yeah it's like you're jamming square peg in 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 you know in in round hole at at, at that point you know like one of the things for me this year that i'm really like jazzed on that i'm trying to really do is you know include ground hunting in my game this year you know what i mean and so it's like i've had conversations yeah. with zach and just recently released a uh, a podcast with jared sheffler from you know whitetail adrenaline like you know farinbaugh from hunting public and, and and jared from whitetail are like you know the the hammers of like ground hunting you know what i mean and that was like both of them yeah. like in talking to them it's like part of like the whole the whole deal is like when you go into like that style of hunting is like it, it is a useful tool you you don't it's not necessarily right for every setup now jared's different because he hunts that exclusively but you know you have to have confidence and be able to do it in order for it to work for you you know what i mean like if you don't think it's going to work it's not going to work you know what i mean even if it's the right setup you know and so that to me is like the biggest thing it's like i take the things that i feel most confident in you know from each person that i get a chance to talk to whether it's you know hell dude whether it's someone who everybody knows or whether it's you know, some guy at this. You know, I picked up stuff from the guy at the gas station at the Casey's while I was in Iowa that I ended up using. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he and I yeah, talked over sure. pumping gas, and I was like, "Hey man, I'm gonna try that." You know. Um, So it comes from everywhere. I,
2: I like. Right. I I definitely agree. Like, so here's kind of my thinking on the confident thing, and I've said this before. Like, being confident is everything in the White Tail Woods, and probably any animal that you're hunting but why are you why are you confident so the reason why I would be confident in a kayak access scenarios that's kind of like what I do that would be the thing that I would say separates me from a lot of people is like my biggest tactic that I use 99% of the time is using water access well I'm confident in that because I have done a lot of research I've learned a lot about it and how to go about accessing a piece of area from the water like I'm sure Jared Sheffer and Zach Barrenball have done the same thing when it comes to ground hunting. like if yeah. I were to go out right now and try to hunt like they do on the ground, I would suck at it like it, I wouldn't I wouldn't kill anything unless I just happened to look into it. Because I don't know what I'm doing, that's why I'm not confident in it. Because I haven't studied it. It's like right. going into a college ex- exam without studying. You're not going to be confident that you're going to ace it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I like I don't. I talk to a lot of people almost every day about kayak hunting, and people sending me questions or you know asking me on Facebook or whatever, and they feel like it's going to be like the magic wand for their deer hunting. And it will be if they will concentrate on it, but it's not going to be like, you're just going to go out in your kayak for the first time. And you're going to kill a deer. Like you just have to learn things. You have to research things and, and figure it out. Like just like ground hunting. Like you can't just walk in and set up on the ground and expect to kill a deer like Zach Barenbaugh does. Like he's doing a lot of homework on how to use that tactic. Yeah. And so like, I, I just think like if people would, if a guy wants to do something and do it really well, there is a, there is a large amount of work that's going to go into that. Yeah, You know, it's not just going to be going out and shooting big bucks. It's going to be, you know, prioritizing it, you know, and, uh, like, I study maps religiously during the off season and during the season. Like I was at a, I was at a birthday party last week and we were just all sitting down and nobody was really doing anything. So I pulled up on and I was just looking at maps. <laughs> funny. And, uh, <laughs> it's
1: funny you say that dude. Cause I was at, I was at a wedding this fall and like everyone's out dancing on the dance floor at the wedding reception. And I was sitting at the table by myself with my, with my map up looking at, <laughs> looking at a bunch of setups. <laughs> it was kind of funny.
2: It's because we're eat up with it, man. Like, we just, we love it, and we prioritize it. It doesn't feel like, to me, I love it so much. Looking at Onyx doesn't feel like work. No, You know, it feels like this is part of the puzzle that's going to go into killing a buck. Yeah. And and that's what I want to do. Like, ultimately, that's what I'm trying to do every time I go into the woods, and I'm not going to do it. 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 Like, it is... My favorite thing
0: to do yeah. is killing deer. Yeah.
2: Like it's it's part of me and it's not and if I know that it's not gonna happen without me looking at these maps or it's not gonna happen without me researching, you know, late season food sources or whatever, like Yeah, then I'm not gonna get if, if I if I'm not doing those things, then I'm not gonna get to do my favorite thing in the world, which is kill bucks. Yeah. So it doesn't feel
0: like work. Yeah.
1: It's just fun. Yeah, exactly, man. I think the other thing people don't realize too, is like, you know, what those guys that we look at that are really good at, whether it's, you know, Dan at bed hunting or John or Zach or Jared, or whoever, it's like what they don't see or maybe don't recognize is like, there's a lot of failure to get there. You know what I mean? Like there are, oh, there yeah. are blown hunt after blown hunt after blown hunt that they have, that they learn from what not to do before they really are sure of what to do you know, and that's just like, you got to have the ability to be okay with failing to, in order to kind of get that, you know, that hand experience that you need in order to ultimately, you know, eventually be, be successful. But I have like, I want to be sensitive to your time, because I know you have a, a record that you're trying to get to. I have two last questions for you. One, because water access is something that I'm always looking to try to use. I don't have very many setups right now that water access would really work, but if I were going to start to dive into the water access, uh, aspect of things. Like what would be, if you had to give someone one tip, like to think about like, as like a, Hey, I've been doing this for a little bit. Here's like the biggest thing that I learned that will be helpful for you as a new water access co- person. Oh,
2: that's a, that's a hard one, man. I've learned a lot of, I've learned a lot of really hard lessons. Um, one lesson is, uh, tether your gear into your kayak <laughs> because you never know what's gonna happen right uh, my dad my dad dropped his rifle one year into the bottom of the lake because oh, he flipped his kayak and uh, we he ended up going swimming and trying to get it and I fished it out with an anchor it was it was bad Jeez. and it was cold it was in December so it was cold uh let's see um, tie your boat off. Whenever you, go these are all just like practical things. They're not really tactics things. I had my kayak float away one day, um, uh, when I first started, cause I wasn't tying it off and I got lucky because it just floated kind of like probably a quarter mile Jeez. across the lake and ended up, ended up going into a slough. And so I had to hike to my, my car and, uh, drive all the way around the lake to where that was at and pull it up off of this really steep ridge. So that was, that sucked. I ended up trying to swim out to get it before it got to all the way across the lake. And that didn't work. I thought I was going to (laughs) die. Um, so as far as tactics based stuff, I mean, like, honestly, there's so many positives for me with, with going in through the water. Um, One thing is that deer don't necessarily associate danger with the water. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you've got like a big lake or something where they're used to fishermen and recreational boaters and stuff like they're used to stuff happening on the water and they don't associate, associate it with danger. So one of the greatest things that I can say is like, be super aggressive Mm. in the way that you do it. Like, don't be afraid to kayak or boat get you put your boat up like really close to where you're going to hunt like because they're not they're not associating you with danger obviously if you hunt a spot 15 times in a row and you're shooting their buddies every time you're in there or whatever like yeah they're eventually going to start right patterning you um because they're smart animals but and that's what that's one thing i would say is like just don't be afraid to get really aggressive with it.
1: Nice, cool. Is there any particular kayak that you that you dig on? Like, is there a, a setup? Is there one that you think is like super light, easy to use for someone that might be a noob?
2: Yeah. So that's that's one thing is making sure that you have the kayak. Now, obviously, if you've got a boat, like a boat's got a high weight weight capacity, you're good to go. But with a kayak, you really got to start thinking about weight capacity and gear. And uh, safety should be your number one priority every time. And so, um, you know, if you're if you're rocking like a cheap sun dolphin, that's probably not your best bet uh, for being safe. And especially because during deer season, it's cold. Mm-hmm. Like, you could legitimately die if something goes wrong with a kayak access spot. Like, it, it's not out of the question that Death is a real thing whenever you start thinking about, you know, 30 degree water yeah, and, uh, and you want something that's going to be, you want something that's going to be good. I use a new canoe frontier 12 and that has a 650 pound weight capacity. So I, I have, I kayaked a big buck, uh, not gutted in that thing. And I mean, live weight, it was, dude, it was pretty legit. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and my, my boat, I mean, it was like, there was nothing even in it.
1: Nice.
2: So, um, that's, that's a, that's a really good boat. It's obviously a little bit pricey, but it's a, it's a really good boat. It's got a lot of, um, versatility to it. The cheap option, the one that I used to use is a perception striker Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's got a 500 pound weight capacity. I've kayaked a lot of deer with that boat um when i first started it's got it's a cheap boat so you can mod it up you can drill into it not have to worry about it i think you can get one for i think you can get one now for under 300 bucks probably especially used if you found one nice um it's a tank of a kayak it's i wouldn't say it's like super light but it's i wouldn't say it's it's definitely not a heavy a heavy boat you know you're not looking at 100 pounds or anything but, um, that's a good one. That's the one I always recommend. And I have videos on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel on both of those boats. Um, kind of my setup and the, the perception striker one is probably the best one because I modded it a lot to make it work. And, uh, like I put a bow holder on it and, uh, a GoPro mount and a spotlight. Like I put a lighting system on it. Um. So if a guy's wanting to go out and tackle kayak access, those videos are really beneficial for you just to just to kind of see you know the things that that took a lot of the lessons that I've learned and applied them to the boat to the to the kayak um, to try to help guys not you know maybe not make the mistakes that I did or learn you know they, they can use the lessons I've learned and just start
1: uh, a little bit ahead of the game. Right nice yeah i'll have to check those out man because that's something i kind of want to i kind of want to play with is is uh is you know being able to be efficient with the with boat access um that way if and when i do come up against it it's uh i have that available to me but man i want to be sensitive to your time here dude the last question is i always like to end with this one you know or something similar to this just because it's a uh it's a simple question might be a little bit of a loaded question uh with you know very complex or nuanced answers at times but why does uh parker mcdonald hunt
2: uh, man, like honestly, so I kind of I kind of talked about it and hit on it um a second ago, but and it's the experience of the whole thing. like I really just crave adventure, and so in whatever it is, like I'm always looking for something that man, this would this would be a good story to tell. It's all about the story every time, and uh like you can you can take photos and, and do all that stuff. Like I'm really like always hungry for that. Like what's something I can do that's challenging that not a lot of people are doing to have a really good story one day. And, uh, and that's why I podcast. That's why I started putting stuff on YouTube to kind of relive those experiences. And, uh, man, like for me, it's not about outsmarting the biggest buck in the woods. Like that's fun. It's cool whenever it happens, and I try to do that every time. But it's it's not about that. It's not about the inches, um, man. It's about the experience. Whether that's you know me taking my two year old daughter on her first hunt, which wasn't actually a hunt. We were just driving around in a in a mule <laughs> and shooting a pellet gun. Like right to me that day, if a, if a, a spike would have walked out. In front of us, like I would have shot it because it's all it's not I don't care about the inches or anything like that. that's me going out and shooting a deer with my daughter for the first time, right you know, yep. or um going out and hanging out with my dad and getting our butts kicked by the terrain out you know the place that we're hunting, and like maybe not seeing any deer, it's still worth it because it's the experience that I got to have with my dad right, and uh like that's just I would say if I had to if i had to you know, put it in one thing, I would say it's, it's just that, that adventure experience. so I started using the kayak, man, like I wanted something that, that wasn't really being done. And at the time there was like zero content about it that you could even find on the internet. And, uh, so it kind of gave me that idea like, well, this isn't done a lot, right? Maybe I can, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can be the guy that's doing this. And, uh, and so the thing I, that I realized though, really quickly was that every single time that I hunted with the kayak, like I would go and paddle a mile or two miles or whatever. And I'd get back to the boat ramp, even if I hadn't seen a deer or didn't kill a deer or whatever, I always feel, felt like I did something really cool right. that day yeah. that nobody else did. You know, people kayaks are fun. They just go out and kayak mm-hmm. and that's what I'm doing. You know, like I'm going out and just exploring and and it's just an adventure every time and it it just adds to that experience it's the whole reason i started doing it
1: nice man well i think that's a good place to kind of wrap things up brother so if before i let you go why don't you let people know where they can find out more about you where they can follow you and all that good stuff
2: yeah so like i said we we do our podcast through the sports nation podcast network and uh if you're familiar with nine finger chronicles or Landon Legacy uh DIY Sportsman. They're all those are guys that are all on that podcast network. So you can go subscribe to that and uh, and get like a podcast every single day. And uh, really good content there. And obviously the, the Southern Ground Hunting podcast is on there. Um, you can also just subscribe to the I have my own RSS feed through the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast that you can search and find. And then the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel that's where I put all of my content there. On Instagram and Facebook, it's Southern Ground Hunting, and uh, and yeah, that's that's where I post everything that's interesting about me. Anyways, nice man. I have personal stuff, but it's it's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't, post, I don't post a lot on there. Right. Um,
1: Awesome man. Well, hey dude, thanks for coming on, brother. I'm gonna try to. Ha- I'm gonna have to try to make it down to uh, Alabama way here and try to catch some rut one of these years to extend my hunting season. But between now and then, man, let's make sure to stay in touch. Thanks for coming on, buddy, and uh, good luck to you here the, the through the next couple of days here while you wrap up your season. Hey, Clint, I appreciate you having me on. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, and Day 6 Specialized Gear. And until next time, we'll see y'all.